0: okay hey everyone welcome to another episode of a clap of course it's me your host paulo and today's episode is going to be really fun as well it's going to be a great episode just because we have another senatorial candidate here who'll be discussing his platform his beliefs and um all of that great stuff right about you know the campaign the campaign season or the campaigning in itself and you know i know a lot of you out there um, are still deciding who to vote for when it comes to each position, right? And I think it's very important for us to do the necessary research we need to do uh before we vote for a candidate. And that's why you know I'm so glad that this candidate agreed to to come on Iglap so that you know you can discuss his platform. And yeah, we'll see where it goes. So before I start the episode, I'd like to thank our sponsors. So thank you to our usual Swagat Indian Cuisine, uh to Derm Nature and to Excuse me, Mas more Manila, so our guest tonight, like what I mentioned, he is running for senator in the twenty twenty two elections, and he is currently the chairman of the Makakalikasan Alliance, president of the Makakalikasan Green Governance Center, and of course is a senatorial, senatorial candidate for the twenty twenty two elections. Uh, please welcome to IGLAP for the first time um, Mr. Roy Cabonegro sir uh good evening
1: yeah good evening uh, paulo and uh, thank you very much for this opportunity uh good evening to all your viewers
0: all right so mr cabana first thing i want to ask you is um so you know one you know your introduction is very professional right we're in we know what you're doing and things like that but how about you tell us a bit more about yourself but more on the non-like professional side like (laughs) Let's get to know Mr. Cabernieger a bit more. Well, I'm a product
1: of uh, the Rio 92, the Earth Summit in 1992, where the concept of uh, sustainable development uh, first uh, came into the picture of uh, global uh, negotiations for for environmental work in the world. So um, I, I actually entered this campaign very early, Uh, because i was in college then and all throughout my uh, college years and you know and i was already working um this has been my my focus in fact i remember days when many of our messaging today would have seemed uh, you know um, impossible at certain points in time we were were seen as uh, uh, you know uh, promoting an idea that was so radical uh, people thought that these problems would never reach this point but uh, all these years have been affirmed you know we've been vindicated but then again that's the sad part because uh, the vindication came at a point when we do have a major problem so uh, perhaps I, I would rather say that uh, on, um there's not really much about me on a personal level i'm, I'm a simple person i love simple things uh, I'm a family man. I have uh, two children. Both of them are um, adults already, starting their young adult life. And uh, I, re- I live a very simple life. I'm, I'm not uh, rich. And uh, probably that's the reason why I'm in a political party that supports uh, the poorer segment of our society, because I can empathize with them. I do have the privilege of having studied in a relatively good school and had the right connections and uh, contacts to be able to know the right people um, to be able to be exposed in many of the serious issues in, in the country but uh, that only broadened my own perspective on how to look at many of our problems today uh, I would tend to believe that I have a rather um, unconventional way of, of looking at the situation um, for example I am I have no religion so <laughs> oh, okay something that most Filipinos find hard to understand um, I would consider myself a pantheist as far as uh, faith level goes um, I'm I'm of course green so I do not subscribe to uh, the more you know standard form of ideologies although I appreciate many of them I believe there is really no one uh, ideology that will always be right all the time however I do believe that ecologism, uh, the, 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 uh, the ideology that's, that has evolved from the environmental movement is a timely ideology that has uh, reached a point where it is now important And that is where i have uh, dedicated my life i I see myself as someone who is simply doing my part i have no grandeur no sense of grandeur of myself as i've said i'm a very simple person but i do fight for uh, ideals that i believe are important for many people especially the the poor especially those that are uh, most vulnerable those that uh, really need uh, to enjoy more equity because in their own lives in their own day-to-day lives they suffer from inequities of of the world and uh, because i grew up in a middle-class family and shared that value of understanding the the plight of poor people i see myself as someone who is just trying to do my part but of course we want more people to do this because the problem is extremely huge you know meaning there are so many people that are affected and right now we are i am i'm a believer that we are an, at an existential situation of human society we are at the brink at a, at a you know at the precipice of either really opening ourselves to the next Um, evolution of human consciousness or we simply fail as a species so the current generation is in this uh, predicament and um, of course by the time that all of this will happen the worst of our climate problem for example I will be an old man but my children will experience this so in a lot of ways I'm doing this for them I'm I'm a man who is simply trying to do what I can given what I know. All
0: right. Well, that was a great um introduction to yourself that I thought should have been like the ending of the episode. <laughs> but no, that's still really good. So thank you for that. So uh, first thing I wanted to ask you now, so you mentioned that you don't have a religion, but you mentioned you're, sorry, pantheist? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, what, what does that mean exactly?
1: Well, a, a pantheist is someone that believes that God... Uh, I, I'm not a... Um, I'm not a uh, atheist, I do believe in a concept of God, but the God that I see myself, that I'm trying to understand is a God that represents the totality of everything and beyond, because there are so many things that we simply don't know, so there is really no way for one human, limited human being to fully understand what God is, but... The idea of seeing ourselves as part of it um, would set aside a pantheist from um, other uh, faith, and uh, of course, a pantheist is also someone that uh, do not see the difference between the creator and the creation. For a pantheist, uh, the creator is not separate from the creator, the creation, and uh, everything started mm-hmm. from literally nothing, and it created itself. So um, in a lot of ways, I suppose a pantheist is closer to many of the concepts and principles behind ecologism. And probably that's the reason why I, I got attracted to it. I, I found my peace on the concept of uh, the, the fate of pantheism.
0: All right, uh, the next thing I want to ask you is, you mentioned that in 1992, you know, people were were already you know, talking about the earth, right, about pollution Mm -hmm. and things like that. And um, I think, I guess one of the biggest disconnects compared to now in the past is how quick information, you know, gets passed through, right? I mean, I think in the 90s, you know, we'd probably get our news the day after. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If it's from abroad. But can you imagine like the 80s and 70s, how many days it would probably have taken or whatever. But um, back in the 90s, you know, you were a part of that movement about, You know about um global pollution right i guess plastic going into the water and all of these things i guess i'm wondering why were you so interested in that i know you mentioned about your your faith which is pantheism and such but what got you so interested in joining that summit you know fighting for you know the green the green solution for around 30 years and things like that what got you there
1: well, um the the, the agenda twenty one, which was the cornerstone of the Earth Summit, and uh, all all multilateral environmental agreements that came as a result of this, including the Convention on Biodiversity, the uh, Convention on uh, Desertification and Drought, the Convention on the Uni- uh, United Nations Framework on Framework Convention on Climate Change, which became the basis for the ongoing global annual global climate summit processes were all premise on the concept of sustainable development <clears throat> and sustainable development is a holistic framework it looks at uh, a, a balance between social economic and political and governance no and and uh, it's not very different from our concept now of sustainable development goals because when you look at the Sustainable Development Goals today, you look that its bottom line is really uh, people, planet, and profit, which is a fundamental framework of sustainable development. So that holism, that totality, you know, to look at the problem in a more, uh, you know, a more holistic way, which is what probably um, made me interested in, in and what I take out, uh, what we, which which I take from the summit that I attended in 1992. And during that time, uh, the idea of student environmental groups were relatively new in the Philippines. And we started that in the early 90s. We formed, uh, in our peak, we were forming student environmental groups in the National Capital Region, for example, where I was studying. We formed about 42 of them in 42 different colleges and universities. And later that started the process of forming a national network of similar groups together with other uh, regional groups that look like us, students and youth on environment. And eventually those groups formed a national mechanism called the Youth for Sustainable Development Assembly, which became part of the process in crafting our own Philippine Agenda 21 so I suppose what led me to this is really the holistic approach, no? that there is a governance agenda, there's a social agenda, there's an environmental agenda. And that is what uh, the practicality of it, the ability to see it getting implemented and not just you know uh, something that you dream about, uh, conceptual or academic level, is probably what brought me to it because I'm, I'm, I'm a person who likes getting things done. Um, being able to monitor and measure results Uh, remember i I studied uh, marketing management and political science i am not a i'm not a physical science or ecology Uh, my background is nothing to that neither am i a philosopher or a or a theologian my my background is really on getting things done uh, social economic political and the sustainable development gave me that opportunity from a lens of ecologism because you can you can approach ecologism in different ways so you can romanticize about it you can look at conservation per se or you can look at a more holistic framework that includes governance which is called in our time sustainable development today it's probably called the sustainable development goals and uh, The countries today even put measures into it specific targets and this is what's driving many of the uh, sustainable development work all over the country but of course um we have uh, the the problem has outpaced this positive you know uh, optimistic notion of getting things done because the problem has outpaced the efforts and now the problem is terribly bad worse than how we have been trying to talk about it as environmental activists in the past. Today, when you read the official reports of uh, the United Nations, especially the reports from the IPCC, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is the scientific group that advises the United Nations countries, their predictions are far worse than how we would have ever talked about it years before. So we were right. But unfortunately, we are wrong as well because the situation by current scientific available data is actually far worse. And our time frame, unfortunately, is far less. So now that I'm running, actually, I'm becoming more a bearer of bad news, hoping that in bringing us, Filipinos in particular, at the precipice of our problem, you know, you're like in a a hill, on top of a hill, and in front of you is a cliff. So either you give up, you jump and die, or you learn to fly. I do hope that human societies learn to fly, because there is really no other way to do this than to you know, make that, that, that huge jump towards a new set of values, a new way of looking at things. And therefore, right today, the, the requirements are quite radical. Because the time frame is quite short, and the problem is quite dire. Many people know today than before, but of this many people, very few who really matter make the necessary action. Most of these are now level of the state. It requires state action. That level of action, authority and capacity to mobilize resources it, today is no longer the time for individual actions. It's too late. There, there has to be a, a broader, uh, stronger action, set of action, and therefore the solution is really now in politics. I am not a politician, but I was forced by circumstances of what I know to to do this. So forgive me for the long answer. <laughs> No, not at
0: all, not at all. That's that's
1: probably how I I got into this. That's that's what drove me into this, the the practicality of it. And yet today, um, we are really challenged because the optimism that brought me to this has now been fully eroded, being outpaced by the level of the problem that we now face. Now, how to communicate this to the younger generation? to me is the biggest challenge because how do you tell young people that the world is going to end, but it's not really the planet that's going to end, but the people, the species of human being that's going to end if we don't do something about it. And doing something about it is no longer individual actions. It has to be a systemic change. Everything else must be questioned. Capitalism must fall. A new system must come out of it. Uh political system must change. The, the traditional politician that we have in the Philippines must absolutely change. Otherwise, we're dead. How, how do you communicate that now? It's really, really very difficult. Either way, um, I became the bringer of bad news.
0: Well, first thing, no need to apologize for long answers. I mean, you know, that's why we're here, because we want to get to know you better and to know why you're doing things. So, yeah, I mean, you're basically the harbinger of death uh, Maybe <laughs> you could put that in your posters. <laughs> no, but anyway, um, not, no, but not the sure. right way to win an election. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you do have a lot of good points, right? But I want to ask you because, you know, when you look abroad, right, um, mm. when you look at like the US, uh, European countries, et cetera and even some southeast asian countries like thailand vietnam you know etc there's like a i wouldn't say it's super big but there is a good movement when it comes to like the green initiative right about avoiding that i'm sorry avoiding like those small plastics or microplastics right or you know as much as possible when you go to the grocery bring your own container I mean, it's just those small things, right, that, that could really make a great difference, I would, I would think. So I'm just wondering, why do you think that in the Philippines, there is no such movement? Well, actually, there
1: is. And what you just mentioned yeah. is actually part of the problem. The, our inability to see the small problem from the big problem why do I say this in particular about yeah. plastics now plastic is a problem we didn't used to understand it as well before but now we do it is a problem but it's the least of our problem you know why um, if you notice the anti-plastic campaign or the campaign to you know make countries more accountable to plastics behind this are actually the petroleum companies as well you know why because plastics is easier to solve you know, plastics is a matter of stopping production and shifting the kind of product that we use plastics for to more, you know, um, organic or more biodegradable materials um, that we that do not have the same permanence as, as plastics that's creating this level of pollu- extreme form of pollution that will be there for millions of years until we all die Plastics will still be there, just transform into microplastics or, or larger plastics that can never biodegrade. The, relatively, this is easy to solve. And, and that's probably the reason why many of the campaigns today are focused here, because the funding from these campaigns also came from the com- companies that created the problem. Why do they do this? Because they're not, they don't want the public to confront the bigger issue. It's like a smoke screen for the bigger issue. The bigger issue is climate change. That how we need to do mitigation by removing fossil fuel, by going into zero emission, and which means the culprit here is the same companies that are funding the anti-plastic campaign. And because here, they can come out as the heroes. Do you notice that uh, there are so many hype on plastic campaign? I, I have no doubt that plastics must be resolved. But this will be resolved easier. It's like the, remember the ozone layer issue?
0: Yeah. yeah. We
1: remove all these uh, CFCs and other chemical and voila! We solved the problem. It was a miracle for the industry who solved the problem. It made them look very good in the global politics. Which is rightfully what needs to be done because that problem is really, really serious. But It was solvable by by actions of industry. Today, it's the same challenge. Plastics is solvable by action of industry. And yet, most of this industry cannot do the actions necessary for climate change because it is at the heart of their being as, as, as enterprises, as companies. You know, how do you tell a fossil fuel company, to, you know, just a few years, shift to renewable energy. Very difficult, because all the investments are tied up, say, to these types of industry. Now, despite all the problems that we know about coal-fired power plant, for example, and all the hype about committing to you know, re- uh, re- uh, reducing and eventually removing coal-fired power plant, last year, during the last Global Climate Summit, we were still unable to agree on the total uh, removal of coal-fired power plant. In the Philippines, 60% of our energy mix is coal-fired power plant. We have 22 of them, and 20, uh, 28 of them, and 22 are still being built, despite the fact that we want to go zero emission by 2050. How the heck do you go uh, zero emission by 2050 if your target for renewable is by 2040, 50% because you don't want to remove coal-fired power plants right away. So it cannot be done. 10 years, you give yourselves 20 years, from 2040 to 2050, in order to move from 50% to 100% renewable, impossible. The targets are so low. Why low? Because right now, we are dependent on coal-fired power plants. There is no other political party in the Philippines that has called for the, for the removal of coal-fired power plants, the swift-shift renewable energy. Except Partido Lacas ng Masa, my own party, PLM. We have called for this for the next two to six years. And, and this is the most radical proposal on, on, on call. Now, going back to the, to the point, no? um, precisely, I, I think this is precisely the problem that uh, we, we think that uh, these issues are not in the Philippines. It is, but it's a smokescreen. This is not the real issue because this can be solved right away. Now, just for your information, there are so many groups here who are campaigning on plastics. In fact, there are more groups that are moving to the anti-plastic campaign than maintaining efforts on climate change, which is bad for the, the real problem and good for the corporations who have been using this as a, as a smoke screen for their own liability as, as countries that are destroying the world. Our, our most immediate problem today is climate change. It is not plastics, but plastic is a problem, but it can be solved much easier because it's simply reducing the production and shifting to more, um, how do you call that, Uh, closed loop system um, in production and uh, really shifting the type of materials that we use back to more biodegradable and organic or renewable materials than the use of, uh, of plastics, and it's it's permanence. No? So um, I'm I'm not sure if I answered your question because the I think the question the premise of the question is wrong. Um, there are many environmental work in the Philippines. Uh, we have so many. In fact, we have the highest number of environmental defenders in the philippines getting killed for, for this work no, it, it's it's uh, one of the records of the country that that here there are more people dying for environmental protection literally giving up their lives than in any other country i think we're number four or number three in the world to have such a uh, record huh? yeah and um, this all this all this gives you an idea of how much uh, people are active here on various forms of environmentalism. But it's not the kind of environmentalism that you're probably familiar with. Because here, while there are many working on plastics, there are more that are working on harder issues, like developmental aggression, you know, when we shift our forests to plantations, when indigenous people are removed from their lands because it is being built up, we being used for open pit mining, you know, the, the harder issues that uh, do not seem to see the light of promotion because um, plastic is a cute issue, it's something that everyone can do something about, but it's also something that the most easiest of the environmental problem that can be solved. Um, I suppose what I'm trying to say is you're probably looking at the issues of the Philippines from a lo- uh, from a r- wrong lens because that's not what we are focusing here precisely because we are focusing on the harder issues but but without saying that there are no groups here who are promoting anti-plastic there are so many in fact there are i think 44 local ordinances that were pushed with the efforts of civil society and gopos and movements in various cities and municipalities in the country that regulates plastic there is now a national bill uh that is pending in both houses of congress for a phase out of of uh, of, uh, plastic use and plastic production and because of the recent uh, negotiation and a global ban our global reduction of plastic production um this this development in the in the international level will will speed up some of these efforts i suppose after the election this will be one of the first legislations that will that will focus no environmental legislation that many of us will focus on a national ban on, on plastic uh, production and, and use starting with um, um, single use plastics and probably moving into other other types of plastics in, in, in many industry uh, commercial uh, you know, commercial products uh, 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 and marketing uh yeah so i i, I suppose uh, it really depends on how you what you're looking at no you may have an in perception that this environmental movement in the philippines is not so active it's probably because we're looking at different things rather than in compared to other countries
0: so when it comes to that now um because you do have a good point that we do have problems when it comes to you know deforestation From a lot of you know illegal loggers, Uh, mining in general, whether it's legal or not legal, Um, a lot of the you know aside from trees or a lot the ecosystem that used to be there. Of course, when you blow those things up, it kills it, right? So I guess I'm just wondering why do you think that in terms of local media or mainstream media, why are all these other serious problems like what you mentioned, why aren't they as you know? reported on or not as famous as compared to what you call you know plastic being the easiest the cutest issue because it's something that people <laughs> can get involved in why do you think the more difficult ones again like about the other good point about indigenous people being removed from their lands because of open open pit mining or what or whatnot about illegal logging and all of these things why do you think those issues aren't being as reported or as mainstream as the plastic issue
1: I, I think it's because uh, mass media is looking for optimism, rather than they're looking for the good news rather than the bad. We have had uh, so many bad news on environment in the past. No, um, the country is uh, is a uh, biodiverse country, but it's also the hottest of the hotspot, one of the hottest of the hotspot. Meaning, we are unable to to confront many of our environmental problems, from biodiversity to habitat destruction because our capacity is low and governance is bad. So over the past several years, all the stories have been relatively negative. So when there comes an issue where there could be some positive outlook, of course, media would prefer to cover that. So the cute plastic issue becomes uh, one such issue because it's, it's really very easy to 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 see the positive side of it because people can do something about it you know it's uh, you do clean up you do recycling you upcycle all of this everyone everyone can do but not everyone can go on a mining area and try help people with their mirad of, of issues that are very serious issues at that many filipinos wouldn't be able to be given that opportunity or even if they were given the opportunity they wouldn't because it's so difficult the the issue is so serious you you look at human suffering from an you know from a very uh, personal point of view and what would you do you'd probably choose the same way as media have chosen they look for cute things that uh, are easier to find optimism about so which, which is i think human nature no it, it's human nature we don't want to confront problems in our face um especially if we're if the problem is really existential it's about our own survival we tend to you know find ways to make it lighter to a point that we deny ourselves this reality it's like the uh, it's like a you know the frog when you put it in if it's in water and you boil the, the pot the, the frog will not jump out because it will adapt. It will continuously adapt until it dies. But if you boil the water and you put the, the frog into it, it will jump out because it will feel the problem right away. It's like that. It's like that. So we have been akin to too many serious problems in the environment that have been reported over the past several years. I think we become callous <laughs> to all of this and we're no longer... We no longer want to really confront this, but we are looking for optimism. And the cute little things that media is now covering provides this optimism. This is natural human nature, I think. But it's also very dangerous because uh, most people now do not really want to know the problem. And with climate change, the difficulty, I think, Paulo is that for the first time, the scientists of the world has pegged a deadline this is the first time that they have ever pegged a deadline. after saying that the problem is really caused by humanity you know they, they make an equivocal uh, it's now equi, uh, in, a, equivocal that the the cause is is anthropocene, no? anthropocentric hum, human human is causing this problem then the next thing they said in this indian report in their latest report is we have a deadline so this is the first time in human history that we've been given a set of time frame that tells us that our existence as a species is now coming to an end if there is nothing that we will do about our current situation given the current trend so i really don't uh, fault media for this or even fellow filipinos because we want to see optimism. We want to be hopeful despite the time that we actually need to see the worst of our of our projections to allow us to confront them. So, I don't know, I may be wrong, but that's how I feel what's happening now. I I think that's the reason why we prefer to look at the more positive um, aspect of the problem where we can do something about it. I, I think if, if this was a conscious effort of the companies who are culprit of climate change, they've really thought of it very well <laughs> because offer them a plastic issue and people will be very happy that they've done something for the environment. <laughs> Even if at um, the same time, they are in the path of killing themselves.
0: So I'm wondering, uh, because you mentioned that, you know, fossil fuel, coal, I guess, let's use coal as the example coal sounds very prehistoric right mm-hmm. i mean when you think of coal you think of uling you know you just yeah, go yeah. buy yourself some liempo you know barbecue it enjoy right but when you say coal-fired plants right you know or plants that sorry what do you mean by that Do you mean that there are plants that make coal or plants that use coal
1: no i, I uh, most of our energy in the country um, more than half 60 no, percent of our mix no our power mix the sources of energy, comes from coal-fired power plants. Coal, coal-fired power plants it uses uh, coal. These are, you know, like big big uh, black rock type of, of, of coal. These yeah. are not the coal that come from wood, no? It's not the uling.
0: Yeah.
1: No, no. so it is uling, but not the uling that we know that uh, that
0: we use for cooking. Yeah.
1: We use for, uh, so it's, it's really hard, uh, you know, hard, uh, rocky, black substance and and it's, it's 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 we use that to to fuel uh, we use that as fuel to run turbines and to boil water and and and, uh, and the vapor runs turbine to create electricity so that's why it's coal-fired power plant meaning yeah you fire up the coal and it produces uh, you you use water uh, to to boil it and and the vapor. Uh, runs the, the the turbines the turbines create the energy so well energy plants can either be run by uh, you know nuclear same process you boil the water from nuclear radiation or um, diesel fuel you use diesel as, as fuel in this case we're using coal as fuel but it's the same it's the same concept, concept no yeah, um, geothermal is uh, the same, but the difference is we we use the energy from we use the, the already hot uh, vapor from from the earth, no? from 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 uh, vents of, of areas where the, the earth produces naturally uh, these types of of, of um, um, gases. No, so that's the hydro. That's that's uh, that's geothermal. Hydroelectric. Does not use any any boiling because hydroelectric uses the power water from from say dams to run the turbines so this the the only different thing here is hydroelectric and tides and and of course the same idea with uh, wind solar is different because solar is direct to batteries no so you use solar panels to convert the radiation of the sun put it in batteries so relatively the most different of these types of energy production is really solar. So now coal is very, very pollutive and uh, it's a huge uh, greenhouse gas uh, producing process. No, it it emits carbon dioxide and carbon dioxide, as you know, is the biggest part of all
0: greenhouse gases. All right. So here's the thing now. So. Here's a very silly question, so please be patient. Um, let's say I'm a typical normal Filipino, and I hear you're saying that coal is bad, right? Mm-mm. So would you say that Uling coal is also as bad as that coal, the the big rocky black one? Actually, they- yes,
1: yes. Oh. Because indoor pollution, for example, if you use, uh, if you're if you're doing grilling at home, you you inhale carbon dioxide, right? That's very pollutive if you use, um, uh, if you do barbecue outside. Remember, in in most, um, well, in all, probably, in all municipalities or cities, um, probably not all, but probably most of them will have an ordinance about requiring a chimney-type mechanism for those who are selling, you know, grilled fish or grilled chicken. Those who are selling these things, they are required by law. To put up chimneys. Why is that? Because you want the 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 smoke to go higher, so that when it goes up, it dissipates before going back to, to the level where we are. Because if you do not put at a chimney, everyone will 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 inhale it, and yeah. we, we get sick out of this. Because it, it's really uh, it, it really causes um, you know upper respiratory problem for uh,
0: yeah. Filipinos
1: and those that live. Communities that live surrounding uh, coal-fired power plants have the same effect. Uh, they get sick, upper respiratory. In fact, there are many people who are dying of directly because of pollution of coal-fired power plants. And the simple barbecue. <laughs> so barbecue does not only result to, say, deforestation, because the sticks that are being used comes from, if it's not bamboo, which is more sustainable, if you take it from really hardwood or even softwood in many uh, places in the Philippines. Literally, that causes deforestation because of the so many volume of single use sticks. Remember, this is like plastic. This is like a single use product, right? After using the stick, you throw it away. There's no other use for the stick unless you reuse it. So um, on one end, it causes deforestation. On the other, it causes pollution. So that simple act of of uh, barbecue, which personally I I love eating, no, is unfortunately a very unfriendly way of of enjoying a meal. <laughs> so but I I, guess- d- I don't many people understand the, that that, and I, I appreciate yeah. your question. It's a it's a it's a very it's a very interesting question because most people don't really understand how environmentally destructive that type of choice
0: really is. Yeah. But then you, you mentioned that single-use sticks also cause pollution, right? But then, it's biodegradable though, so doesn't that really not cause "quote unquote" pollution? I mean, let's just look at it that yeah. way.
1: Well, I, I suppose what, when I say pollution, I meant the use of the ooling or the coal, yeah, or, for for you know for barbecue and the stick themselves because it's single-use. Um, you you need a lot of it every time, so it it causes in many areas micro deforestation, deforestation no? because in many places yeah. people would, would you know chop trees just to produce this unless it's bamboo because bamboo certain many species of bamboo actually grow very fast so yeah. it's almost a renewable energy source and, and by the way bamboo beyond the sticks is a very important uh, alternative uh, material for many of our um w- what we use now for construction it can up it can literally be An alternative to many of our concrete and other construction material if you do that side by side with say mud bricks then you can produce a house both the the wall the ceiling and and the floor between between Barbie uh, between bamboo and uh, brick uh, mud bricks this becomes alternative to everything that comes from quarries you want to stop quarry promote bamboo and uh, and uh, mud bricks in social housing. No one has thought of that. Someone did, well, the former uh, Cooperative Development Authority chairperson, who is an environmentalist, he was laughed at by, by the National Housing Authority because he said we can produce a house at 50,000 pesos per social housing unit and um, the national housing authority said no the minimum is 250000 that uses the usual material from quarry and what he was proposing was using a more sustainable material bamboo and uh, and mud bricks so between the two of them who is more sustainable of course the proposal of this former cda but this is the thing no uh, people don't see this as better than the other so a simple shift would have probably solved many of our quarry problems in the Philippines. Because if mining, if mineral mining is a problem in the Philippines, quarry is equally a a dangerous uh, uh, development in the Philippines. This is causing a lot more problem, immediate problems in terms of uh, soil erosion and siltation, and of course, pollution and deforestation in the process.
0: All right. So I kind of want to get to your agenda now. So you, listed down three agendas here for your green agenda. I'll just name the three, then we'll get into detail after. So the first one is Kalikasan at Kalusugan. The second one is Kabuhayan at Kontrakahirapan. And the last one is uh, Karapatan. Okay, so let's go muna to yung Kalikasan at, uh, what do you call this, Kalikasan and Kalusugan, right? So with this one, um, you know, when we look at your plan, it's quite similar to what you've been mentioning a while ago, right, about, you know, climate change adaptation or pandemic response. I'm going to ask you a bit about that later. But Mm, the the one thing here that I got very interested in how you're going to do this is you put put here, put into conservation 30% of coastal areas by 2030 and reforest 45% of each major islands. So I guess the first question is, where are you going to get the necessary support or funds to push for this agenda?
1: Well, I'm, I'm g- very glad you asked it. And uh, in, in fact, uh, a better way to pose the question is really, you forgot something, that the mechanism for all those three can be summarized into the Green Commune. I think you missed that part. And the Green Commune is really the program that, sh- that needs a lot of legislation that will require a lot of resources. So, if you allow me, I'll start with that first, still framing your question. Uh, Green commune is our response, I think, for climate adaptation and mitigation. Now, climate action is divided into two things, mitigation and adaptation. Adaptation are actions that we do for things that we can no longer change on climate change. Sea level rise, for example, can no longer be changed. It will happen. It is happening. Uh, mitigation is solving the root costs. Uh, for example, um, stopping the uh, carbon sequestration, we keep the carbon in the trees and on the ground, and uh, therefore not allowing it to become greenhouse gases that causes climate change will solve climate change. Partly, that's mitigation. So our problem in the Philippines is that we are an early onset country, which means here, because of our location and our situation, our capacity or ill capacity, uh, the ill effects of climate change happens here faster and worse much earlier than any parts of the world. For example, sea level rise is four to five times higher here compared to any other parts of the country. Probably uh, the, the only two worst countries from our situation our small islands country like Tongo and, and all this that have already been deluded uh, diluted with sea level rise. The, the many of their islands are now no longer there. Or probably uh what's this country near near East Timor? Ah no no near near Vietnam. Uh Cam- no no, not Cambodia. The other one with a lot of deltas. Um now uh, Myanmar. Ish. Bangladesh oh, Bangladesh. No, Bangladesh is uh, worse than us because they are they're uh, they're coastal country but they are also um there are so, so many river systems that flow out of of the country so they're more susceptible to sea level rise than us so probably we're third or fourth but bottom line four to five times higher in the in the Philippines and sea level rise how, how about this sea level rise um it's projected to be 7 to 13 meters by 2050. now 7 to uh, 10 to, f- to 15 meters is about a three-story building so imagine manila bay racing three three floors up yeah in one generation so in the time of uh, i'll be 70 or 80 by the time but my children will be around 50 or uh, 40 to 50. so in just one generation you will see three floors of buildings that are in manila bay flooded with water and this will happen all over the world but will happen first in the philippines so what does that result to that results to about uh, an estimated between 14 to 22 million filipinos who will become climate refugees who will need permanent relocation because 70% of our eastern seaboard, uh, West, western seaboard, the, the one fronting West Philippine Sea, 70% of, uh, of, of, our, of, of, of our people live 100 kilometers from the western seaboard. So you can imagine how many people will, will, will get displaced where will these people go? We already have a 7 million social housing backlog today. Today, there are 7 million Filipinos who do not have their own homes, who need to have their own homes. And you will add about 14 to 22 million more in the next 20 to 30 years. This will really be a tragedy, no, a human tragedy. There has to be a solution to this. And the solution is not to bring them still in urban areas because many of our urban areas are also coastal areas so and, and many, many of our urban areas are no longer sustainable it, it's it, the population is too much already the quality of life is so bad already traffic pollution these people who will become climate internal climate refugees cannot be placed in urban areas we will have to really de-urbanize in fact even if there were no 22 million climate refugees in the next 20 to 30 years, we still have to de-urbanize because urbanization causes a lot of degradation on the quality of life. It also is a cause of climate change because the the pollution generated by urbanization contributes a lot to climate change. And global warming, part of it is actually caused by cities, no? Because uh, cities cause a lot of warming in the world. So on one end, we need to be urbanized. On the other, we really need to develop our rural areas because we will have 20, 14 to 22 million climate refugees. The solution to this is really um, green communes. Now, the green communes are new areas that will be developed uh, where we can start all over, not just to solve, to adapt. To the climate refugees the, the, how to solve their housing problem but to create new communities where we can start all over again where and this is where it becomes a mitigation because we here we can start all over again and start a lifestyle that is more environment friendly you know create our design our our new communities where food mile will be lower you know the concept of food mile the, the, the length between where you produce the food and where you consume the food. Yeah. Now right, right now our food mile is very long. No, we produce it in a farm outside the city. We most most of us eat, eat it in the city. It's transported all the way using so much energy. Now, if you create a sustainable society, you will not do that again. You will create uh, organic food production, vertical gardening to save space. You know so many other technologies that are available for us, more compact agriculture nearer to habitat areas. And in this system, it will require what you mentioned earlier. If if it has a a waterway or a water system like uh, lakes, rivers, or if it's a coastal area as well, it 30% of the water area should be conserved. Why? Because this is scientific. If you have a water area, you want to conserve it, you, you, you continuously need to have a sustainable source of fisheries you know, where, you, where, where, where there will be uh, plentiful fish that will always be available. Because shifting to non, uh, non-animal-based food like fish is proving to be harder. You know Plant-based diet is proving to be harder than um, conserving. It's easier to conserve then continue fisheries, then to force people not to eat fish. But in the future, that will probably also be one of the one of the solutions. But going back by science, we know that we need to conserve 30% of a given area if it has a water system, river, coastal area or inland water like lakes. Now, the other side of the story is forests. We also know by science that for island ecosystem, it has to be covered by forest 45% or higher to be sustainable. In the Philippines there's only one island that still has above 45 degree. This is 54% Palawan. That's why it's called the last uh, uh you know how do you call it the last uh, um I forgot the term no. Uh, you yeah. have a term for like the last Palawan.
0: something uh, yeah.
1: last something on environment because the, 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 the science behind that is because it's the, it's the remaining island that has more than 45%. Because science tells us that for an island to be sustainable, it has to have 45 percent of forest cover. So if you create green communes, uh, not only will it be sustainable in housing using renewable energy such as what I mentioned earlier, bricks and bamboo, um, it will also have closer food mile because organic agriculture and other forms of Sustainable agriculture could be built alongside the housing. It will also be covered with forest, 45% of the area. And if it has water, 30% of it has to be conserved. So this is a way to restart, a green normal, a sort of a green normal. Now, this will cost a lot. And going back to your main question, I'm very glad that you raised it. Um do you remember when or still we are still doing that you, you know in, in the Philippines we we have this called the PESAS, the economic zones yeah. you know we yeah. provide incentives for uh, attracting foreign direct investment so yeah. we create all this uh, exception you know we bend our laws so that they yeah. they have a very conducive way of uh, having their business here but do you know that of uh, all this effort for foreign direct investment or fdis FDIs in nineteen ninety one, was only about nine billion. Nine billion pesos. That's the That's entire low, yeah. direct investment of the country. Do you know that uh, OFW remittances is twenty eight billion last year, and BPO workers, those that are working in the call center, uh, earned twenty two billion last year also. So between two industry, OFW and BPO it earned 50 billion compared to the low 9 billion of fdi so why do we give incentives to foreign direct investment when we should be giving incentive for ofw remittances and bpo earnings why because fdi results to direct earning of the country whereas ofw and bpo workers are given to individual families and they spend it on consumer products do you know that that OFW do not invest so much it's if you'd be lucky to find an OFW family that invests on businesses what they invest on are you know clothes shoes cars all these luxury items and consumer products who owns these consumer products not us because we don't produce them we're not we're not a heavy industry country we don't produce many of the things that we have in the country or we sell in the country these are owned and produced by other countries the owners are mostly foreigners. they're selling it here. We're, we're one big market. So we bring people out of the country to become OFW, almost literally slaves in some countries, and they come back here, they spend their money on consumer products that we don't produce. So the capital flight goes back to other countries because the owners are foreigners. So it, it's an endless cycle because we don't have our own industry. But if you rechannel this, if you rechannel this, to green investments in green communes, then it becomes valuable to the country. Now, why do we need to challenge OFW? Why do they need to be reintegrated and be brought back to the country and no longer become OFW? Why? Because there's a huge social cost also for OFW. Many studies have shown that uh, the the demand side factor of uh, drug addiction, for example, in the country can be traced to OFW families. When you lose a parent or both of your parents, and you're a child growing up in a, almost a broken family here because of OFW phenomenon, many of them tend to become drug addicts, go, go into drugs, teenage pregnancy, and general juvenile delinquency. There is a huge social cost for breaking up Filipino families. And that's the reason why we have to reintegrate our OFWs back in the country, but they cannot come back because there's no job here for them. No, and we have no enough incentive driven by the state to make them businessmen. We just want them to become buyers of things, things that we don't produce. Now BPO, why do we need to provide an alternative for BPOs? They're they're earning enough, and they're not outside the country. They're here in the country. Yeah. Um, besides the fact that you know, if you if you work in odd hours, you tend to have more physical problems like uh, in your in your liver you know th- there will always be that risk in that type of job but the bigger problem with bpo is that in 10 to 15 years it will no longer be a viable business uh, enterprise uh, or industry why because in 10 to 15 years most artificial intelligence technology will mature which means uh, call center agents will no longer be necessary it's an industry that will die off in 10 to 15 years while they're still earning we better have a plan to reintegrate them back to Filipino societies because they will lose the job. And many of our Filipino families now are either OFW or BPO workers. My recommendation is bring this to fold into investment mechanisms for the green communes that will solve the climate adaptation and mitigation challenge that we have. And this is a lot of money. As I've mentioned, this is a total of 50 billion peso a year Now, give and take that only 20% of that or even 10% of that is used because the rest would be used for their own consumption. That's still a $5 billion um, potential investment for BPO. Now, if this is not enough, we tax the rich. Partido Lakas ng Masa, one of its primary agenda is to promote the wealth tax. The top five hundred uh, families you know the the billionaires and many of the multimillionaires tax twenty percent of their of their of their money now in the banks and impose one to two percent tax on their assets every year why not why not because they live off the, the their their wealth is uh, taken from the the labor of many poor people whom they they abuse in a capitalist system. Why, why not tax them? We've been taxing indirectly many of our people through VAT, value added tax, indirect tax. You know, this a very regressive taxation system. We need a more progressive taxation, direct tax, such as wealth tax for the rich, carbon tax for industries that causes climate problems, and sin taxes for the types of industry that is uh, really useful for people who have vices, but have no use for the rest of us. So tax them because we don't like these types of of, 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 know, of lifestyle. Direct taxes, not indirect, remove many of the indirect tax, such as value added tax, because including right now, you, you know that we're having a fuel crisis right now. You probably know, Paolo. no? Because of the yeah. war and, uh, and other factors, the the fuel here in the Philippines is is you know increasing by the day, and this is inflationary. It will cause a lot of other prices missing a lot it's of cool. product. and the the immediate solution for this is to remove the excise tax, which is another form of value added tax and excise tax on on oil oil products. And this is one example where. I say many of our taxation is regressive because it it taxes everybody, not just particular people and industry that we want to be taxed. So we go into this progressive taxation, including wealth tax, we put together this investment from OFW incentivize the OFW and DPO workers tax, and use existing mechanisms for local investment development, such as LIDA. Local Investment Development Authority, which is a mechanism already provided by law under the local government code. But many of the local government units do not use this. They're not enterprising. They're just waiting for ERA, for money, internal revenue allotment from the national government. They're not enterprising. They're not using their corporate character to create new wealth, to go into business. We need to teach, train our LGUs to become more enterprising. Now, if we move many of our focus on development from urban to rural, this will force many of the smaller local government units, which are mostly first, second, third, fourth, fifth class municipalities, to become more enterprising. Nowadays, they're just dependent on era, because there's not much much to do, because there's no impetus for development in their area, because there is no development in their area. But if we create the problem, which is climate, uh, displacement uh, having climate refugees use that to our advantage to create new societies where we can start all over again uh, green uh, climate change mitigation green societies and in the process de-urbanize uh, remove the pressure from the cities because we will be removing people from the cities to this area and finance that with what i mentioned before I'm not sure if I answered your question. No, you but did, you, you definitely did yeah. entirety, This is the green commune. And this will require a lot of legislation, not just one, but several legislation. And my entire agenda, that entire groupings of agenda, the 15-point green agenda, can all be summarized under this particular agenda.
0: All right. Um, I do have several follow-up questions, if you would allow me. So, okay. So first one is you mentioned that you want to get investment from OFWs and BPOs. And when you explain it, it does make a lot of sense, right? Um, for the BPO workers, if that does happen, I mean, you know, these are all assumptions, right? There's nothing written on paper saying that 10 to 15, land well, I mean, these are just assumptions, right? So um, then for OFWs, the point is you want to bring people home because it's hard for kids to grow up without parents. But I, I'm just going to be... Honest with you, no, I'm not very familiar with the study that says that you know um, OFW families, you know, the kids tend to, you know, become delinquents or things. I'm not familiar with that study, and maybe if you could after the show share it with me, I would love to yeah. read it so I can be more informed. No? So I guess the first one is um, in terms of convincing them to to invest, because of course when you invest in something, you have to get something in return, right? And I think one of the biggest challenges when it comes to countries like the Philippines is people here, when they invest something, they kind of want to get something like physical back. You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense. That's why insurance is quite difficult to sell here, right? Life insurance, because it's more on when you die, your family's the one that gets the money. You don't. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, how would you convince the OFWs and BPO workers to invest their money in your green commune? Well, you have to
1: understand that green communes are not just housing; they are not just services that you provide to a climate refugee. Green communes. By the word commune, you might be wondering what the word commune is. It's a very socialistic term. It's a socialism. It came from the the experiments of socialism. And it's like a kibbutz in Israel or okay. commune in in, in 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 Russia during the. Communist, uh, the Bolsheviks' revolution. It's an economic unit. These are enterprise these are uh, businesses. Of course, we will design it in such a way that it is closed loop or what you call, uh, I, I I was I've been missing this
0: term. Um, By the way, the, the Palawan, is, Palawan is known as the last frontier. Yes, that's I it. No? That's yeah. a less one Ecological. Okay, frontier. This other one that you want to talk
1: about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have been I've been thinking of this. Um I always miss this whenever I talk about this. Uh yeah. hold on, huh? let let me give it some Sure. Um it it's an economic system where the the uh the byproduct of one production becomes oh. the uh, the source material or the or the, uh, or the base material of the next,
0: mm, Therefore, yes,
1: yes. it becomes a close until you reach a point where you can close the loop. OK, so yeah. I I am missing the term.
0: So it's kind of <laughs> like, so it's kind of like let me try to give a very <inaudible> example, right? So let's no, say, for bad. example, um, I dig up to get oil. Sorry, bad example, but yeah, let's, yeah, just say, yeah. let's just say, let's use that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I yeah, yeah up yeah. the oil. I give you the oil. You use the oil to power up your car. Uh or to power protractor to get rice, then from the rice you give it to someone. And you know, it's something like that, right? That's basically what it well. Is it, what it, it's more
1: at. it's more the discussion of pollution. Uh yeah. what does one industry create as a pollution? And can that pollution become the raw material of the next? Yeah. Okay, so it's it's actually called the circular economy. That's okay. the term. Okay. Mm-hmm. So of course, we will design these enterprises as circular economy. That will eventually result to zero waste from waste minimization. Eventually, it becomes zero waste if you close the loop. And this will be low carbon and eventually becoming zero emission industries. So, this will not be your typical hard industry that caused the problem. This will be very different types of industries because we're in a very different green normal. And because this is business, it will have returns. The BPO uh, worker or the OFW, which both are being reintegrated, will become part owner of this. Investors in the beginning, but later they can be industrial partners when they bring home their own skills and work it out as part of the commune. Because they will also be offered, um, you know, to be able to live in this commune. Because the commune is actually a community as well. And by the way, this will not be privately owned by individuals this will either be state-owned or collectively owned by workers like cooperatives workers cooperative. the socialist concept of you know collective ownership and by the way i forgot to mention this will require land right where do we get the lands Uh, these are very interesting ideas one public lands but we have to change laws because most public lands are not alienable and disposable most of them are forest land in the philippines when There is 60% slope, even if there's no forest, the land use is called forest land. Forest land, you cannot put up housing because you have to transform it into a renewable disposable. So this should be amended to some extent to allow for this because we we do this because we believe that when you are in a forest land, there should not be industry there, there should not be housing because the old form of housing and industry are environmentally destructive. But if you change it to a new green normal, then it is now possible to use a forest land technically for housing and also green industry. You can put it all together in one system. So it will require some, some amendment of laws. No? Second one, idle lands. In the Philippines, because of chronic capitalism, there are many large tracts of land that have been uh, bought privately by individuals and companies. Speculated on, because they're waiting for the land use to change. Agricultural lands. Uh, agricultural lands, uh, the, other, the other one. Sorry, I'm trying to change. Uh, yeah. Agricultural lands uh, that used to be agricultural lands are being bought by rich people, and uh, they're waiting for the land use to change. They're forcing local government units to adopt another land use, so it becomes fit for housing, for example. So in the meantime that they they're scheming on all of this the land becomes idle so there are so many idle lands in the country my position land is supposed to be for public use even if, it, if it, even it's privately titled if you don't use it you're making an injustice to people who could have used it properly so to me it is justifiable to penalize to to allow the government by uh, performing its uh, it's uh, uh, imminent domain powers, imminent domain powers, because we are on an emergency, remember. We we have to declare a climate emergency first. And therefore, if it's an emergency, we can claim certain property under eminent domain powers and not just buy back these lands, these idle lands, but penalize the owner and buy at 70% less. Why? Because they have caused an injustice to the Filipino people by not using the land properly. They are just exposing it for... For speculation. And finally, and this is the most important thing I suppose, 20 to 30% of lands in the country are under ancestral domains or Bangsamoro and Cordillera lands. Cordillera is right now, they are under ancestral domain also because of indigenous peoples right up. In the future, when they have their own autonomous region, their mechanism would be different. It will be similar to BARM, Uh, the Bangsamoro. These three groupings, indigenous people, BARM and Cordillera at Cordillera potentially have different types of ownership, their, type, their, their ownership is called collective, um, private collective ownership, which means, especially on indigenous people, the, because this came time immemorial before, the, before even when the, uh, the state was created, it, it is theirs even before the state. The only thing that the state can do is recognize it, but they cannot give what they don't own. So these lands are owned by these people collectively. And this is 20 to 30% of the lands. So when we are now forced to find green communes because our coastal area will be denuded, we will have to talk to them and find ways to live with them. And therefore we have to fix their problems now. And, And to me, this is the reason why, the bigger picture of why I am very strong for indigenous people's rights, because they are a solution to our problem. I'm not romanticizing that we need to protect their culture and et cetera. We do. But other than protecting what is rightfully theirs, right to self determination, there is also a more inherent interest because their lands is the solution to our problem, part of the solution to our problem. And therefore we have to fix our problems with indigenous people, Bangsamoro and the Cortilleras today while we still have time. And with this, that to me, that creates the total picture of how I want to push this green communes.
0: So with that one, you mentioned about um, people owning land and if they're not doing it or using it properly, you're going to penalize them by buying the land back 70%. I'm just wondering, would you give a fair amount of time for them to use the land? Because what if, for example, let's see. Okay, so I won't get into further detail with the question, but I guess the question now is, what is a fair amount of time for you? Well, we have to look at our climate emergency,
1: as I mentioned um, uh, quite specifically. We do have timelines and this is based on climate science, not based on how we want it to happen, but on what's happening on planet Earth, regardless of whether we're here or not, because climate change is happening because of us, but despite of us as well. What is the timeline? By 2026, we will breach 1.5 degrees, which means the, the runaway climate will start. But when will the, the uh, tipping points happen, the nine global tipping points? It will happen between 2040 to 2050. And when we reach this point, we will be about 3 degrees to about 5 degrees. Five de- uh, between 3 to 4 degrees increase in global mean temperature means 100 million deaths And that's a projection of the IPCC. So what I'm saying is, we literally have until 2040, which is 18 years, 18 years to fix all of this. Otherwise, runaway climate begins in 2040 to 2050. There's nothing else we can do about it. We will simply watch ourselves get killed. Okay, that's the the dire reality of the IPCC. Uh, The title of the report is Code Red for Humanity, if you're interested to read it. And that's all there. In, in in broad science you know in, in specific science not 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 some propaganda material of activists such as myself we no longer need to to talk about it because the scientists are now the ones who are on the streets you know protesting in europe the ones protesting are high school students and scientists why is that because the science has, has reached further than our own uh, our own um, propaganda our they're they're talking now are far worse than our own propaganda in the past. and, and much of this is the timeline because they're saying, this, this scientific report is saying that by 2040 the end of, the end of the human species will start to begin. That's just 18 years. So going back, the time frame, very small. So in 18 years we have to stop this. So all transition will probably be in the first five years. So, if there is any transition for all of this to change their ways, especially including the landowners, like for example, they bought the land as an agriculture, but they refuse to use it as an agriculture. If they don't use it within five years, to me, that is considered lapse. But if they use the land as a private land as agriculture, the way it is intended, not waiting for it to be changed into another land, use, speculating over it, and that's the reason why they bought it in the first place, then they're free from this obligation, but not. But if not, I think it's the obligation of the state to take it from them. Uh, subject it to imminent domain powers because we are in a climate emergency. OK, so the, so first we, is the Green commune. is really the declaration yeah. of a climate emergency in the country now.
0: Yeah. So the answer is you give them five years, like five years after purchasing. If they don't, you know, use it the way it's supposed to. The whole penalization, right?
1: Given that we have an 18-year window,
0: yeah, yeah, so yeah. five
1: years is about a third. So
0: yeah, I give them a third right. of the
1: yeah. time. We still have uh, the two thirds to work it out. I, I'm not sure about the science of this. We'll have to check it. I, this is me talking yeah. like a policymaker. No, sometimes yeah. policymakers don't have enough science.
0: Alright, the next thing I want to ask you is because um, I've had Kalyodi on the show, a while then as well as uh, Dave, David yeah. D'Angelo. I just haven't had Attorney Espiritu yet. I hope to have him soon, but let's see where that goes. But anyway, um, all of you are very consistent with the whole taxing the rich, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah. like very consistent. I really have to give it to you guys. Always consistent. Uh, then, you know, you mentioned that you want to tax them, right? So the first question is, a lot of these rich people are also in Senate, Congress, etc., right? So I guess the question is, how will you be able to get the political will to pass that kind of legislation, knowing that a lot of them are in public office as well? Because I'm sure there are those who are public servants right now who you would put in that list of yours in terms of taxing the rich, right? So yeah, please go ahead.
1: Well, you you asked me a very important question, something that I wish I wasn't asked because this is really, and, and since this will be a public thing, and um, I, I want to be very honest and yet not put my own group in jeopardy, this is really the irony of our own current situation right now. Because the, the thing is, um, taxing the rich in a situation where the Philippines is number four in crony capitalism all over the world, you know what? chronic capitalism no? it means the convergence between the interests of the business people those who, those who the capitalists and 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 uh, politicians no there's a connivance between the two their interest is merging and therefore uh, governance becomes a business and business becomes another side of government <laughs> so it's no longer the interest of the the people who are majority the majority in the country are poor so it's no longer the interest of the majority, but the interest of a very few elite. Now, in this situation that they also control both houses of Congress, and not to mention, probably, if you if, if are to believe the trend on the, the surveys today, probably the winners of the next election would still be from the elite uh, and the executive side, President VP, And, 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 and uh, of course, currently, the, the both houses of Congress are controlled by the elites. And there are only three of us who are running for Senate. We don't even have a full slate of 12. We did endorse nine more people, but uh, some of these people are progressive, but yet their positions may dilly-dally also with with uh, the Trapos and the, and the economic elite. It is only the three of us by position, by party position, are really hardline. You know? Because we have set it upon ourselves to be hardline on this issue. If you ask the nine other whom we also endorse as progressive, because Kalyodi. Uh, actually endorsed 12 no? but three of them are from the party the rest are from other the others will not of course say that they are for taxing the rich the only three senatorial pres- uh, senatoria that are talking about taxing the rich are the three of us so even if we reach the senate there will be nobody in the house <laughs> see and the senate is 24. we will never be a majority and this is the weakness of our campaign because the, the right answer to your question, very unlikely given real politics, even if we are all elected, that we can win this in the first debate. We will try and try until we convince them, or we will have to wait for 2025 so that more are elected and both houses and 2028. But by 2028, we will have reached 1.5 degrees. Remember that. Because the timeline that I'm working for in my governance uh, challenge is really the timeline of the climate emergency. So by 2026 and 2028, it will be the start of the runaway climate. So more problems will prop up. And we will be justified even more. So more people will understand our problem because they will feel the problem more than ever before. Um, I don't know how I can... Oh, hold on. Ah. Imam sure. Merom, can I use your cup? cup. Or yung small cup. Ko? Can I borrow it? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to explain to you what a tipping point is. So for your okay. viewers to understand. No? Sure. Try to imagine that this is the, the earth. And this finger is humanity. The water inside the cup is climate impact. If Humanity pressures upon the earth, it will cause the spill of some water from the planet, meaning it will cause this climate problem. But if you stop doing this, the pressure, if you stop the pressure, it will balance again. It will, it will, bring, it will go back to equilibrium. So the less pressure from humanity, or when we stop the pressure, it fixes itself. Now, there's an example of this pandemic. During the quarantines, when we stopped producing, stopped consuming and stopped moving because we were rather online rather than going to meetings and using our cars and etc., our pressure stopped for a very small, short period of time. And suddenly we found our air cleaner, our water cleaner, Metro Manila residents so Mountain ridges. The Sierra Madre, the yeah. Yeah, Sierra Madre. They saw Sierra Madre. They, they show the, the northern part of Sierra Madre, the tip of Sierra Madre. And they yeah. realized, there are, there are there are mountains. There is a watershed of Metro Manila. Before, they didn't realize that. Now, what is a tipping point? The tipping point is different. The tipping point is when you reach a point where this cup, even if you stop the pressure, can no longer go back to balance. But continue to spill and it will not just spill a few drops but spill a huge number of water now which means there will come a point where all of the effects that we're feeling now is nothing compared to the impact that we will feel when this entire water will will thrown out this is the tipping point now even if you stop it will continue um cause effect but then the effect will now but when you reach a point of the tipping point the effect will become the new cause creating a new effect a worse effect this is tipping point when is tipping point 2040. so that's my dilemma and this is the weakness of our campaign there's not enough of us to push this but in 2025, 2028, people will feel the problem even more, especially 2028. And hopefully, we can have enough momentum to get more people into government, especially in legislation to move all of this. That's the political reality. Now, do we even have a chance now that the three of us can get elected? Very slim. We know that very slim, because the challenge is really so great. But even if we do, we will still need 2025 2028 to complete more green minded you know climate oriented uh, politicians legislators to push the hard the hard the hard legislation because by that time the tipping point will begin the unfortunate thing about this and i think the moral issue of this dilemma is that we are building our success as politicians on the debts, destruction and, uh, you know, the sorrow of people who will be affected and die. Not because of our cause. But not because of of, of of our inaction, but in order to prove our point. And this is the sad part. I mean, and this is what I said that Filipinos are like, you know, the frogs in the water and you boil the water, they don't jump out. And that's what I meant that we are in a precipice. Because we are making all of this mind-changing context, Um, uh, changing perspective at the cost of lives of people. And and this is really the moral question here. I wish that by just simply telling people, they will understand. But we don't. We have to feel the effects before we understand. And me knowing it, believing on it, not just knowing it, but believing in it based on science, not, not based on any religion, but nowadays, the concept of science, And the concept of religion is merging because all this time, religion have been saying the end of the world. The only thing that they miss is that it's not the planet that that's going to end. It's the people in the planet because the planet will continue. The planet do not need us. Environment, kalikasan do not need us, but we need kalikasan to survive. The, The nature can remove us and it will continue. It's probably better that we're not there. Because based on our experience, when there's less people, <laughs> ecology is better. Environment is better. That's the irony. Now, question, are we good for the planet? Probably not, if we remain who we are. But can we become a green normal? Can we move to the next level of consciousness for humanity? We probably could. I want to see it. As I've said, I'm, a, I'm an action person. I'm, I'm a doing person. I'm a monitoring person. I, I don't want concepts. I want reality. I wanna see it in green communes. Probably the green communes would be a way to, to you know, shift the mindset and shift to something that tangible, that we can see that there is a green normal. But in the process, we will have to make very radical changes, socio-political, cultural, and economic. That's why it's workers controlled. That's why it's taxing the rich. All these radical ideas, is because we're looking for a solution, not because I'm a socialist. I'm not a socialist, by the way. I work with socialists, but I'm not a socialist. I'm Greens. And to me, this socialist idea works. It can work. But we have to put it in the context of the ecologism that we are now confronted with. Purely a socialism, just between the two of us, although this will be published, and I probably get kicked from my own group for saying that socialism is not a response. I think a new form of socialism is the response, not the kind of socialism that we have had before or socialists are offering now. Socialists must evolve in the same manner that Greens are accepting some concepts of socialism. As I've said, there's no ideology that will always be right all the time. There's a right time for everything. And each of this ideology must evolve, must improve. We are trying to improve, but all of this bottom line will have to be shown in real action. There's no point in conceptualizing all of this. It must move from prax, from paradigm to praxis. Now, where do I do that? In governance. That's the reason why I'm running. Because if I just think about this and conceptualize this, I'd rather write a book or be a, be a philosopher or be a teacher. I don't want to do that. I want to see it really happening because I believe it will benefit many of us because we will die. When I read that report that uh, 100 million people will die by 2050, you know, I, I, I really got, I felt so bad. Can you imagine, uh, you know, seeing, uh, witnessing 100 million human beings dying? 25 million a year? And that's only three degrees. Huh? What if we reach the maximum, uh, the, the higher global mean temperature of five to eight? what then? That's no longer 25 billion a year. That will even be bigger. The 25 million a year is a very moderate uh, projection in the IPCC. But still, 500 million hundred million human beings dying in 10 years? That's horrendous. We, we need to do something about this.
0: As you know, um, when it comes to your platform, now, you actually explained all three in, in, in one go, right? You you mentioned about the, the circular economy. You mentioned about the importance of green communes, about stopping hunger. I mean, all of these things you were able to explain all in one go. And I have to say, that's pretty impressive because, you know, usually when people have platforms, right, they're not necessarily that connected, you know what I mean? But yours is like one full circle, as, as you would want to happen. So the next thing I want to ask you about this now, and this is not really exactly about um, the green situation because of course as a legislator, there are other issues that you know, you need to also you know, support or be against or things like that, right. So for this portion of this episode, I'll be asking you some issues that are more societal but not green. So if that's okay with you, no. Yeah, yeah. so the first thing I want to ask is what is your stance on, and I'm sorry, this may sound super shallow, some of these questions, but you know, these are some things that people also would want to know no, aside from the green issues. So first question is, would you support like the legalization of divorce in the Philippines?
1: Yes, because not all marriage um, are successful. And there are many couples that are locked in, um, loveless relationship. And there are many cases of this that are also uh, leading to are already in some form of uh, spousal violence, Mm. which uh, no person should ever be exposed to. So yes, uh, some marriage fail. So we simply have to have uh, a means to end marriages.
0: Okay. Next one is, would you support the legalization or decriminalization of abortion in the Philippines?
1: To me, those things are different. Um, It's um, more horrendous to think that we want to legalize abortion. But to me, it's acceptable, and I think uh, it should actually be done, that we decriminalize. In the Philippines, if you have an abortion, whether safe or unsafe, um, you are charged infanticide. Killing your own child, and because the definition of infanticide is very broad, no? it's it's, uh, it's not very discriminating. So, which means um, it's very unfair. Uh, now. When you, we really talk about abortion there are many considerations here and I'm sorry it's it's not a simple of course answer,
0: yeah
1: answer no and I'm glad that your portion is not a simple yes or no because I always have a yeah. problem with this question when people just want a yes or no because it cannot just be a simple yes or no I believe yeah. that unborn have rights the unborn if they're human beings already are sentient being sentient being they can feel so do you see those video of um beyond 15 weeks when you have the abortion when a child in the womb would try to you know you when, yeah. when, when say you know when they're trying to cut their hands and the, the child would actually do this reflect uh, as a reflex a defensive reflex why because it's already conscious it's already a human being I, I believe human rights that we have including right to life the unborn also have that. Because they're already human beings in the womb. They just have a vessel where they are living to become full grown human beings. But I think there has to be a scientific way for us to determine when conception actually happens, when they become sentient beings inside the womb. If they're not yet sentient beings inside the womb, they don't have the same human rights, including the right to life. So some say it's 15 weeks. Beyond 15 weeks, it already is imbibed with the same humanity and the same human rights that we have. But is it just an option of choice of women? I also believe in that, but, 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 if it means killing the unborn, I have a problem with this. I have a serious problem with this. I would rather that abortion is for those when the life of the mother is threatened compared yeah. to the life of the child. Second, when it is caused uh, the the conception is caused by rape, especially if it's incestuous rape and it's really an unwanted pregnancy, there's no way that this can actually be 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 loved except if the mother would eventually choose to choose to love despite all of this. So, but of course, it's very difficult to operationalize this, no? So, there are certain conditions where abortion should be allowed. Now, the factor that is missing in most discussion is really, what if the state will also give the option to the mother to give up the child and become children of the state? Why not? We, we need to learn to go beyond our family-centric concept of families and be a broader human, family of humanity. The state must give an option to the woman who's already 15 month, uh, fifteen weeks pregnant to, we will take care of you, all your costs of, of giving birth. You will not bear it alone. When you get when you when you when you when you uh, when the child is born because you don't want it you chose not to have it the state should take it the state should take it take care of them suspend your right as a parent say for eight years and if you don't return for your child you lose the right to your child and even if you choose to go back and get your child from the state The child that the state must first investigate whether you all have the requisite of being a good parent. And if you don't, it will also not be given to you and you will lose your child. This is a very big burden for the state because they will be taking care of children who will not have parents of their own. But to me, this is a more humane option than simply legalizing abortion and getting rid of them. Because, bottom line, the unborn has. All right, so do you call me a pro-abortionist i don't consider myself a pro-abortionist i consider myself a pro decriminalization of abortion person that i agree to. but we must allow a mechanism for the state to give an option to the woman to take care of the child ourselves and this is tied up to our to the green agenda on population management yeah, where, 1%. yeah. Where, where, where we would like to incentivize a two child policy, and one of them have to be incentivized from adoption. Because the general idea is we have problems on adoption in the Philippines. There are more foreigners adopting Filipinos than Filipinos adopting uh, Filipinos. Yeah. So if we can incentivize, we can change it by incentivizing and hopefully this will ease the burden of the state taking care of many of these children. We will have to increase our effort on internal adoption, domestic adoption. Because this is not only a problem, but this could also be a way to to unpressure, to remove pressure from this new policy that I'm proposing, that the state take care of child, the the state becomes the guardian of these children, the children of the state, I would call it. It's, It's everyone's children. It's the children of Filipinos. But taken care of collectively by 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 Filipinos, volunteers, and all. Yeah.
0: So I'm curious now. So you mentioned that they'll become kids of the state, right? The the kids, uh, and that the person can't be the parent of that kid for like eight years, whether they choose to come back to get the kid or not. Then there'll be an investigation, right? But sorry, this may sound like a silly question, but within the you know within that time span of the eight years, are would that would the parent or the, the woman in this case, because it's obviously going to be a woman, right? Or possibly a transgender man who would give birth to this child. Yeah. be allowed to visit the kid, at least? I mean, not necessarily bring them home or anything, but, you to, know... To build bond? Um, I'm not a psychologist,
1: but if it's bad for the child, no. Okay. But if it's good for the child, which I cannot determine right now because I've said you yeah. need more information. Yeah. Because the 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 most important part here is the interest of the child. If yeah. that is something that can be done without, uh, you know, uh, making it difficult for the child psychologically, then yes, why not? But in general, their right as a parent is suspended.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just more of like visits, You're like, hey, what are you doing? Maybe for an hour once a week, you know, something. okay, so your answer is more on. Let's look at the science and whatever the science says. If it's good, yeah. go yeah. if it's bad. No, uh, okay. So the next thing I want to ask you is let's talk about uh, the LGBT. So I have two questions with this and let's start out with the obvious one. So would you support um, same-sex civil union in the Philippines? I think people
1: are people. Um, Regardless of their sex or gender, everyone have the right to be happy in a marriage, I wouldn't want to call it union. You know why? Why? Because there's no such thing as a union certificate. <laughs> the legal, the legal <laughs> certificate is a marriage certificate and marriage yeah. certificates are issued by the state, not by the church or any church. So if the church don't want to marry them, that's their problem. But they must be allowed to be married anyway. You know? So, if say a Catholic Church do not want to marry same sex, they are not really marrying them, because the one that they give the, the marriage, it's, uh, the, the the legally binding agreement, that process is done by the state. Yeah, it, it the, what what the church has does is more symbolic, more more spiritual than anything. No, it's it's uh, it's, it's it's not the legal process. So if, yeah. if the church, if any of the church don't want to do it, fine. That's their problem. But the state will and should. And to me, it no. doesn't matter. Uh, to me, uh, gender never mattered to me in this case. No? These are just two, um, even to some culture, probably more. Uh, three people, marrying, there, there, there might be some exception in certain culture in the Philippines, but in general, two people have the right to be happy in a marriage. So, I wouldn't even call it union because why call it union when you can have marriage and there's no certificate of union? You want union? You create a, uh, you, you register a partnership in the Securities and States Commission. That's a union. <laughs> it's like setting up a business. So it's the same thing. But if you want it to be your own you know, personal happiness and, and companionship, then let's call it, let's call a spade a spade it's marriage regardless okay. of the position of the church that's their problem not the state
0: so with that being said you wouldn't force religions to to accept it like if the religion says that no, you're not they
1: also have it. the right uh we also have freedom of religion Yeah. so we cannot uh we don't want to sound like we are disrespectful of beliefs and we should not so if a religion doesn't want then don't anyway they're not the ones giving the marriage certificate it's the state most yeah. people think that you get married in churches actually you don't you get married by getting a marriage license and having on an, a, a, someone who is officially able to make the ceremony uh certify it you know it, it it's, the, it's the state that gives the marriage it makes the marriage
0: binding not the church Sorry, I forgot to mention the LGBT one is a three part question. So that was the first one. The second one is um, Would you support the passing of the anti discrimination bill? Yes. Without okay, blinking at I don't think that. there needs an no explanation for that. I mean, <laughs> it's very. Okay. And the last one for the LGBT one is Would you support a movement that would allow transgender individuals to change their gender marker in all of their documents, just like how they yes, do it in the US? Yes. yes. Uh, why not?
1: It's their choice. What 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 bad will that ha- what that what that will that will uh, what bad that will that bring to society? I see nothing bad that will bring to society because of that. The only people who are jittery about that are those who believe that there's only two sexes, and and that's to nineteenth eighteenth uh, century to me. No? That's no longer true. It has never been. You know, in 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 Filipino uh, culture pre colonial multiple sexes are recognized multiple genders are recognized there are many culture in the philippines that recognizes a third fourth fifth gender it, the thing is they they're simply not mainstream but we have long had this concept it, it's not a western concept we have always had this before and many people who are in uh, in other gender are actually seen upon by these cultures as Higher forms of, of beings, ones that can connect to their spirituality better than others. That's the that's the that's the irony of it. We used to venerate these people. Now we discriminate them because of, of Western influence. If we just go back to our oriental roots, we should actually be thankful that these people feel differently of many senses, of many things. Because in our culture, this is a sign of being able to relate to another level of consciousness, another degree of consciousness but we have lost that so we now just see them as different but not important we used to see them as important
0: all right uh my next question for you i probably have two or three more questions like this before we you know end the episode so my next question for you is, would you either s- support the legalization or decriminalization of um, sex work okay that's a good question um,
1: I think, isn't the two question in this case the same? Because if you decriminalize it,
0: I guess... well, in the first
1: place, sex, works, <laughs> sex work in the Philippines is not illegal. There's no law that okay. says sex work is illegal. What is illegal is pimping, uh, human trafficking, and when you're... Um, uh, and uh, what else? Uh... Uh, I think that's
0: a pimping and trafficking. Problem. I can't think of a.
1: Third there is one. no law that says that uh, um, sex work is illegal in the Philippines. There is such a thing as uh, public uh, scandal, things like this. So let's say if you if you get naked in in, in public, or you're seen as a sex worker in public, if you don't do de- do it discreetly on your own private time and place, then that becomes problematic from the sensitivity of, you know, of society. But strictly speaking, that sex work is illegal. I may be wrong, but I don't recall a law that actually says it's illegal. So there's nothing
0: to decriminalize. (laughs) Okay. So how about this? Let me rephrase my question. How about we legalize it in such a way that Sex work could be advertised, of course, to only those ah, who are yeah. of age. Okay, of course, there are certain um, safety measures, right? Obviously, they won't advertise, I mean, they won't have ads that will hit people below 18 and all of these things. Yeah. And let's assume that, um, of course, if you're a human trafficker, we're gonna put you in jail, no problem. But how about, you know, legalization of sex work of people who want to do it, that it's their choice to become sex worker?
1: Well, the, the thing is, um, if we just confront this as reality, what's important, what remains important is the protection of, of people are in this reality or industry. And if these policies that you're recommending will protect them, and protect them against discrimination, uh, or um, unfair uh, practices, if it's if you're talking about marketing, if it becomes discriminating for them not to be able to market their their services as against yeah. someone who could then i will be for it because the general idea is if it's reality then we better take care of them that the state has an obligation to take care of their welfare so therefore everything that will affect their welfare um the state should should, should, should protect against now if if some if people can prove that not being able to advertise discriminates them or um, uh, it's uh, unfair practice on, on business then i'm open to it i'm not saying i will personally champion it i probably won't but if it's come if it comes to my table and i'm asked i will put this consideration on the table because bottom line if it's a reality let's not close our eyes to it let's protect them rather than not protect them and open them to a lot of expose them to a lot of risk and abuse
0: okay um next thing i want to ask you is about marijuana How, would you support the legalization or decriminalization of marijuana in all uses whether it's for medical whether it's for recreational would you legalize marijuana in the philippines
1: at this point I'm not prepared to uh, support it except for uh, medical purposes. I I think uh, we are not yet ready at this point because of our past uh, experience with an current situation of drug addiction to make it available for how do you call it uh, recreational recreational drugs. Because to me uh, the it may be wrong, but the perception that I receive, recreational drug is, some, is, more, is more attributed to a careless lifestyle. So I may be wrong, I probably am, but uh, I'm reflecting a perception that is more, I think, common to many Filipinos. So under that concept that we must also be sensitive to our culture, I am not prepared at this point. Uh, it's not enough time. That we have had this in ours in our exposure, that the Filipinos are ready for recreational drugs or use of marijuana
0: for creation. But for medical purposes, definitely
1: I will support it. I will even champion it if necessary.
0: Okay, so for recreational, you're not yet ready. But is there a possibility in the future that yes, uh, Yeah.
1: yeah. And, and we have to consider the sensitivity of Filipinos on the general concept of recreational drugs.
0: Yeah. All right. I think that's fair. So my last question for you, um, Mr. Cabanyerguna, before we let you go, is let's just say um you don't win for senator. Right? Let's just say, you know, unfortunately you didn't make it. What would you be doing after? Like what are your next steps?
1: Do you really know? Do you really want to know? <laughs> I mean because, but- you know, you know, by far, the reason why I asked that is by far, yeah. the answer to your question is the most radical uh, proposal I've ever had. If we don't win by May, May 10, we will not accept the result. And we will instead form and create a parallel government mechanism. which means under the principle of our constitution where the highest form of power is in the people we will act like government this is not rebellion because rebellion is going against the state we want the state to be there but we will create a parallel government mechanism in order to continue to prepare to take government in the nearest future time. This may require a long time to explain, but let me explain it briefly. A parallel government mechanism is where we assign um, certain people who want to, to monitor certain positions in government. If you can create a full slate of government positions better, because then we can exchange notes and understand how government works. For example, we would like Kalyodi to continue as president in this parallel green government and to monitor whoever becomes government. If the relationship is positive, meaning that president will be doing the things that we want them to do, based on our agenda, the relationship would be to support. But if they're not doing the thing that we want them to do, based on our agenda, the relationship will be exposed and opposed. Kalyodi's job would be to monitor this president on a daily basis, as close as he can, find ways to be very close, as close as he can, and report back to a team of similarly assigned people. I will act like a senator and monitor one senator, attend all the meetings that he or she is attending, because these are public meetings anyway, be familiar of the daily work of this government official, and perform activities that will parallel his or her activity so that we get a real sense of governance on a daily basis and use this as a mechanism to prepare for the next three years to the next seven years. You cannot become government if you don't act like government. You cannot know government if you don't monitor individual actions of government by individual government official. This is a very radical idea because what we're saying is We cannot simply return back to a political party or act like NGOs supporting government or criticizing government. We would rather become a a la government in Tagalog, parallel government, in order for us to prepare ourselves to become government.
0: Okay, I do have a few follow-up questions. I guess the first (laughs) one is, were you supposed to tell me that? Or was that something that you guys weren't supposed to say publicly? Because when um, I had your other running yes, mates here, they didn't mention this at all to me. Yeah. Uh, well, in fact,
1: earlier today, we had a brief talk. And I think we came to an agreement somehow. Not a formal agreement. Something we need still to talk about. From my own group, Makakalikasan, we have resolved to do this in my own group. Parallel Green Government. But talking with the Alliance of PLM, where we are part of, uh, this afternoon, the three of us, the three senatorial, had a brief chat and we all agreed that if we lose this election, we uh, we will not accept the result and instead declare a parallel government mechanism and start to prepare and invite others to join these teams. Of, of a la government mechanism in order to prepare. So the answer to your question is yes and no. Um, I can't talk about it as because we already have an agreement on this as far as my National Council is concerned. We will do this with or without PLM. But today, other PLM leaders, at least the three senatorial we had a brief discussion on this. And in principle, we agreed that this will be the course of action, meaning we would rather start again the process rather than simply fade away we cannot we have no choice but to continue our work but we will make it very close by monitoring government very extremely closely assigning ourselves as parallel to certain elected government officials so i will be monitoring if i if i lose this election i'll be monitoring one senator and reporting back about the senator in the next three years, preparing to replace that senator, if necessary,
0: in twenty twenty five. So this parallel government, is this part of the Constitution that it could actually happen? Or is this in our
1: interpretation, it is covered by the provision of the Constitution that states that the highest, uh, the highest uh, authority emanates from the people. So if the people would like to monitor their government, this level of closeness, it is our right. Even if we look like government, the only thing that is not legal is to go against government in a way that uses violence or armed uh, rebellion. We are not rebels. We don't want to topple government. We want to prepare ourselves to Change government in a peaceful way. It's still the election. It's still the election that we're targeting. It's just that rather than wait for government to become extremely transparent, we will not wait for them to be transparent. We will claim transparency by focusing on all our energy on monitoring and parallel, in parallel, specific functions of government. And can you imagine if this done across the entire government councillors city mayors governors as many people we can convince to monitor their own local government this this I, I think this will this will be a game changer in philippine politics no one has done this before
0: I mean I I, I at first was completely shocked with um, what you mentioned but when you're able to explain it this is more of as a you know as a
1: Paula, I lost you. Hello, Paula. I think I lost you. Hello. Hello, Paolo.
0: Oh, okay. So, sorry about that, guys. Uh, I think Mr. Cabanera is still here. Yeah, Yeah, sir, sorry sorry. about that. My internet is out of nowhere. Sorry about that. I think it's because of the rain and all. But yeah, sorry. Going back to what I was saying, and thank you for staying. Um, So, just basically, you as a citizen practicing your constitutional rights that you want answers and that you're not going to do anything crazy. You're just simply going to observe, see what's going to happen. So, when you say this parallel government like this um thing it's just more of like private individuals just talking to each other but you're not going to claim anything you're just simply going to observe and that's it it's not like you're going to go to malacanang raise the philippine flag or do it you're not going to do that at all it will not
1: challenge government but it will challenge the individuals in government who have their elected positions
0: In the constitutional way, right?
1: Yeah. In a constitutional way, in a a way that is uh, not violative of uh, civil and political liberties and uh, all other laws, but will be, but will border on the maximum that this can be done. Because no one has done this before, that you have an entire team dedicated, dedicated on preparing to be government on this level of of preparation.
0: Uh, The reason why I wanted to really smooth that out and clear that out is um because you know in philippine society um those kinds of you know um things may be interpreted in the wrong way
1: that's right that's right
0: right so that's i'm mean, thank you for yeah. you know really simplifying it as well and you know that's i had to really dumb it down in a way right yeah. just so that even anyone can understand that
1: it's it's radical because uh, filipinos are not used to engaging government so our political parties are, you know, they disappear, they reappear near election, yeah. even the progressive ones. So for the first time, we have found a way to avoid that by assigning individuals to focus day-to-day, monitoring and engaging individually elected government officials and talking as a team because we will have monthly meetings talking like a parallel government. We'll be talking about the situation of the Philippines from the point of view of everything that we have observed over the past one month to have a sense of the entire picture of Philippine government. Uh, We have piloted this in my own province, where we have um, monthly meetings for 23 Uh people representing individuals who are monitoring 23 mayors of my province. And it's proven very beneficial. For the first time we're able to understand what's happening in my province because everyone's monitoring all heads of municipalities and cities
0: and I'll be on a thinking? on a
1: rather simple way, but if you further improve that level of monitoring, we'll understand it even more
0: yeah and how, how did the mayors take it because I assume you'd have to contact the them mayors don't either. know them.
1: The, may- the mayors don't know that they're being monitored.
0: Oh, okay. Some so of them are, are they- close to the mayor.
1: They're working in the mayor's office. Some of them are consultants of the mayor. Some of them are just monitoring the mayor through uh, newspaper, through articles, depending on their level of capacity. The point is yeah. they will do everything they can in their power and all legal means to get this information. The closer yeah. you are, the better. <laughs>
0: So I assume that, you know, if if then that's a huge if, if that happens, you guys will probably do the same where right? yes. you won't tell, you won't tell, let's say, the winner of president that, yeah. hey, Hollywood yeah. is going to.
1: But you know, on the know. other hand, uh, on the level of national positions like the president, Chetera, there might be some value on actually communicating it. So we will be looking for the right balance to do this. Because on one end uh, the anonymity would be important on the other because you'll be engaging them as well there will be a support if past the relationship is positive and expose oppose how can you expose if you don't get yourself known <laughs> to, to, to expose someone properly is to expose them with uh, dignity and uh, transparency to actually say i don't like what you're doing i challenge you that's the way to expose right I'll give you the proof they'll give the public the proof that what he what he or she is doing is wrong, so that person must be known so there might be some level of that in certain but in in certain let's say it because this can transcend even to government agencies if we say we're monitoring twenty three line agency, some of these agencies may be very sensitive, so maybe the relationship will be would be a little bit more secretive or un, unexposed because it may endanger lives and you know security of certain people from our end so it depends on the situation So, but i suppose very exposed positions such as the presidency the vice presidency senators probably those would be very very public i would probably say that i'm monitoring senator a and i'm monitoring her or him every day (laughs) so if i were if i were a blogger let's say i choose to be a blogger and that's the way i'll do it I'll be blogging about this senator every day for the rest of the next 7 years. I'll be doing what you're doing, Paulo. I'll be I'll be doing a show in Spotify and uh, give a daily uh, briefing of uh, Senator A. How how uh, that would be a very interesting source of information for everybody. Wouldn't that be? And for me, that'll really prepare me for that position that I'll be aiming for when I run again in 2025 or 2028. Because I would so know the details.
0: Yeah. So do you have plans though to run again, whether or not you win?
1: The plans is to get government. Then so it's not I, it's we. I will be part of it. It's not it's not my will or my desire to be in government, it's the need to take government. Because the government is not doing what needs to be done to confront our climate emergency. That's how I see it. Until such time that we're able to confront our climate emergency properly, then that's the time we will end this. The time being, we will aim to get in power. It's not the I. It's not a question of I. I am dispensable. What is important is we get this government in whatever collective way we can. And, And this cannot be done by one person alone. This will be done a whole bunch of people entering government. Um, The number and position, strategic and enough size to control government to do what we want. Because if you only have, say, five, three senators, when you vote for the budget, you will always be unvoted. But if you have five out of 12 or 24, you might have a better chance. If you have 12, wow one more and you'll have the majority if you have 13 then you have full control of the senate so that those will be the the considerations not the I. the the I is irrelevant
0: all right well mr cabonero thank you so much for being here uh before i let you go though um what would be your last message to people who are listening who who are viewing this because like what i mentioned um right now this one of the few Elections, actually, were in presidential candidates either don't have a complete slate from their own party list or, sorry, or their own party or they get guest candidates. I mean, like what you mentioned, um, Cagliotti has the three of you, but he endorsed nine other progressive people. Um, I think all other candidates have done the same. I don't know any candidate who has like a complete slate from their party. Right. So I think what that means is. Voters will also not be voting based on party list or based on affiliation. It's more on they're voting on who, who you are, like what are your beliefs, your platforms, etc. So what are your what is your message to people who either are thinking about voting for you or those that have you know a slot who have a possible slot for you?
1: Well, my message would be that the 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 uh, existential issue of humanity tensions the country. However, the operational context we are in to act is within our nation state. And while we have, we should have a value and analysis that is global in nature, we have to act locally. And in the case of politicians, locally means within the nation state, within our country. And this is the kind of thinking that I'm offering to Filipinos. If you believe in this way of thinking, vote for me. Uh, If you think the same way and you can join me, prepare. Join our parallel government. Prepare for 2025 because I cannot do it alone. We cannot, the three of us cannot do it alone. So, my message is not about just me getting elected by you, but there should be enough people to enter government in the next three elections to make a difference at the global, on the part, of our part in our nation state for the global agenda. But never forget the threat is existential to humanity globally. It is not a Filipino centric reality, but we have to play our part. The Philippines is an early onset country in climate change. The world listens to us when we talk about climate mitigation because They see in us what will happen to them next time around. It's happening to us first. We cannot have a moral ascendancy to be telling industrialized country to change their ways if we ourselves are not changing our own ways. For example, on renewable energy, how can you tell an industrialized country to go zero emission if we do not have a serious target for zero emission ourselves? If you believe in this kind of thinking, then you probably know that you should vote for me but again me alone won't really matter so let's get more people on board in government let's claim our government and do our part for the sake of humanity in this planet thank you
0: all right well mr kabalner thank you so much for being here i know how to contact you but what if you know there are people who view this and say, "You know what? I like what he says?" And obviously we weren't able to cover you know every single inch of your platform. You know, we just went for the big pie since of the smaller slices. But anyway, let's say there are people who want to contact you, things like that, or do you have a Facebook page and Instagram I mean, where can they contact you? Well my Facebook page
1: is Roy Cabonegro. So my name, that's my Facebook page. My other face, uh, no Facebook profile, ac- uh, profile account, my Facebook page is now dedicated to my campaign. So it's called the uh, Cabo Negro number no. four senator. But that might change after the election. So I would rather that you contact me in my Facebook profile account, which is facebook.com backslash Roy Negro. I'm more easily contacted there than in my mobile phone i i often do not use my mobile phone so and email i sometimes most of the time i don't check emails so it's really the facebook uh pm no? private message which is my main so just uh just pm me there. um if i cannot answer right away i will definitely answer within within the day
0: Great. Well, Mr. Cabonera, thank you again so much for being here. Sorry again about the technical difficulties. I was also surprised about my internet, but at least it's back. Well, thank you again so much, sir, for being here. I wish you luck in your campaign and in the election. Let's see where it goes. Uh, to our to our viewers, IGLAP will be back next week on Monday. We will not have a Thursday episode because it's Holy Week next week. So we'll be back on Monday with a more lighthearted and not a harbinger of death message. <laughs> as compared to today's episode. But again, Mr. Camilla, thank you so much. I know you're a very busy man with everything. And thank you so much for making the time to be here and answering all these questions about your platform and these other things. We wish you luck. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, Stay safe to our viewers. See you on Monday. Stay safe, everyone. Bye, everyone.
1: Thank you, Paola.